right, so this is going to be a little bit interactive. I'm excited for the word tonight. I'm excited for, I mean, I've had a ton of revelation. I've been studying this for quite a while, just behind the scenes, and I'll get into more details of that as we go farther, because I don't want to give away where we're headed tonight. But the first thing I want you to do is if you have notes that you're taking or just think in your head, but we're going to talk, I'm going to ask you just a couple quick questions. This is going to be interactive. That's what I'm telling you. If you were to give your relationship status with God, what would it be? I know you all laugh at me. It's between you. Don't show the person sitting next to you. That'd be awkward. Married. There we go. All right, your next question. If you were to list your relationship status with the person of the Holy Spirit, what would it be? I know these are hard questions. You're like, man, we're just jumping in right away tonight. What would it be? So the title tonight is It's Complicated. Because the more and the more and the more that I have conversations with people regarding the person of the Holy Spirit, it seems to be in its complicated relationship status. And when you see on Facebook, you see people that put it's complicated. I always just want to text them and be like, so can I have this story? Like, who puts it's complicated? I want to know why it's complicated. What is complicated about it? Are you complicated? Are they complicated? Is it mixed complications? So when we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, first of all, it's like this... Think. Second of all, it's some of us are like, nope, I just choose not to believe that at all. Some of us are like, yeah, it seems like a good idea for some people. And some of us want no part of that. But then if we were to talk about our true relationship status with the Holy Spirit, and when I say it's complicated, usually in a complicated relationship, there's parts of each other that maybe we found out that we didn't know to begin with. Maybe there's parts of each other that we're like, I don't actually know anything about you and you really know nothing about me because we've been different people this whole time. Complicated relationships are just that, complicated. But what I want to do tonight is uncomplicate the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to come from a very simplistic viewpoint. The Holy Spirit is not simple and I don't want to downgrade that at all. But I want to come from a very simplistic viewpoint that we would grab a different revelation of the Holy Spirit that we've ever had before. So what I would ask of everybody in here is that we all have these preconceived ideas of the Holy Spirit, right? We, we have these preconceived ideas of like, they're just the crazy people, they're the crazy church, they're the, the Holy Spirit makes you do weird things. The Holy Spirit only, only, only operates and really, like it just makes people weird and so we've all encountered the weird people that have the Holy Spirit, right? I just want to clear something up. They were weird before they had the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, they would still be weird, okay? So the Holy Spirit wasn't who made them weird. They were just weird altogether, and they're still weird with or without him. And so I want to get rid of all preconceived ideas of the person of the Holy Spirit. I want us to get rid of the idea of, you know, that only the Holy Spirit is just the cult. The Holy Spirit is just, they talk weird. They, they, because there's all these things that come up when you talk about the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our classrooms. And this is a lot of where this came from. So I'm literally teaching you what we're going to learn in our classrooms. But where this came from, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. When I hear my dad, he's 
powerful, powerful job on the Holy Spirit. And we've been doing this series for a couple months now. And as I was studying today, I went, I know why you preach for like 12 weeks on the Holy Spirit, because I need three just on who he is. Like, there's so much to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and there's so much to the person of the Holy Spirit for us to understand. But he's very, very powerful in, in what he knows and in ministering on it. And when you hear him, though, he talks about when he was raised, that it was like... Absolutely not. You will not believe in the Holy Spirit. That's only a cult. You, the only weird people do that. You stay away from the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's where he was raised. So he has got this entire different revelation of the person of the Holy Spirit than I have. And so I wanted to share a little bit of a background where I came from in the, the person, in the, the relationship with the Holy Spirit. Is that um, I was saved when I was little. And then I was about 10 and I went and talked to my dad, and I said, Dad, I, I, want, I want to know the person of the Holy Spirit. You've, you've talked about the Holy Spirit, and in our home, it was talked about constantly. It was absolutely a constant. We say, good morning, Holy Spirit, that, you know, Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is, is part of what gives us life, is part of what gives us power. The Holy Spirit is the inspiration behind the Bible that we read. And so it was common for us to talk about the goodness of the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I said, I, I want that. And so my dad prayed with me. We were in a cabin, I think in Kachera, but before we lived over there, and we prayed. I got my prayer language, and from then on, I've had this relationship with the Holy Spirit. But it's been a different side that I wasn't raised hating the Holy Spirit to speak. I wasn't raised from this side that there was so many controversial things. I was raised from the side that the Holy Spirit was a good thing, and why wouldn't you have the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Why wouldn't you want him as a friend? Why wouldn't you want a relationship with him? And so then when I'd have conversations or hear people and the, the craziness that people say about the Holy Spirit, it was almost offensive to me because I'm like, no, like that's not him. You don't know him. That's my friend. You have no idea what he, what he can do in your life. You have no idea what he wants to do. You have no idea the gift that he really is in your life. And so it would become very offensive to me. And then fast forward through high school, through, and, and obviously a relationship with the Holy Spirit, even through high school, through college, there was just so much that hurt didn't happen. There was so much that you didn't have to walk through because of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And again, we'll get to that in a minute, but I kind of want to fast forward to the background of, of where we're at tonight. And so we get to the point in the, the scenario that sticks out to me the most is Orrin and I were not dating, but we were dating. So it was in the, it's complicated area of our relationship. That was our relationship status. We were hanging out, but we weren't dating, just so everyone knew. But we had gone to eat lunch, and Oren said, I feel like there's something more. I feel like I'm missing something. Well, immediately, I'm like, well, yeah, you don't know the Holy Spirit, and I would love to tell you about him, but that's weird, and I don't know where you stand on that, so you should talk to somebody about that. And that's what's running through my mind. So I'm panicking at lunch, going, I can't tell him, not because I was ashamed of the person of the Holy Spirit. I would want him to have that person more than anything. Okay, you bring up the Holy Spirit, and it's like the pucker effect with everybody. I don't even know his family well enough to know where they stand on this. So I'm like, this is like the make or break it. They're going to exile me because I'm one of those crazy people. That's what's going to happen. Like, this is going to be the end of our relationship. So I'm worried about what his family's going to think. I'm worried about all of these situations because... I want him to have this, but there's so many different controversial feelings towards it. And so it was this difficult conversation for me to have. Well, 
I end up telling him, I'm like, that's stupid. I, I, I'm just going to tell him. So I tell him about the, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. And I said, I, I would explain, I, I want to introduce you to my friend is what I would explain it as. And I want you to know the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to introduce him as friend. And so I talk to, or we talk about it and he goes, good, I want it. I said, cool, you can set up a time to pray with my dad. <laughs> and he goes, are you serious? Yep. And we pulled back into the church and I said, oh, look, his pickup's out there. You can go pray with him now. And he goes, no, I want you to pray with me. No, no, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you should go talk to my, his pickups right back there. And he goes, no, I want you to pray with me right now. No, no, I just don't think. And we go back and forth. Well, then I end up, we pray together and lived happily ever after. So, um... If you're dating, just get your, it's complicated, other filled with the Holy Spirit, and it'll turn out great for you. So that's, that's your note from there. But no, for, for real though, that is where I started thinking and I went, why was that so nerve wracking for me? That was, why was that so hard for me? And I had just always known the Holy Spirit to be a good thing. Always known him to be a good person. Always knew, known him to be, you don't want to live without him. But I had never really studied the, who, who is he really? I had never really just dove in and went, why, why did you send him? Why is he such a good thing? Why, aside from just knowing he's a good thing, I shouldn't have to explain this to you. Like he's a good thing. So I've spent in the last few years just studying through, and especially the last few months, just studying through the, the simple reasons for needing the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the direction we're going to go tonight. So we have six points we're going to get through. We might only get through three. I'm so turning into my dad, but we're going to get through them. So point number one is that the Holy Spirit is God. So the first misconception that I want to confront is the Holy Spirit is fully God. If we can turn over to Matthew 28, 19. And it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know the Trinity is made up of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? All three, God, all three equal parts of God. Do we agree? I'm going to lay a very simple foundation, but I want us to grab hold of this because I promise it'll change your life forever. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because of mixed feelings, because of misconceptions, because of what the world has told us about the person of the Holy Spirit, we tend to think there's God the Father. We have no problem believing that there is a God, that there's God. He created us. He loves us. That's awesome. We want to believe in Jesus because he died for us. We get eternal life. Our our sins are taken away. So we believe in God the Father, we believe in God the Son, but then there's this other guy. And he's kind of like the weird cousin. That's what we think about the Holy Spirit, right? He's kind of the weird cousin that maybe you want to know, but maybe you don't. And if you know him at a distance, then you're golden because you're actually not associated with him, but you know a little bit about him. And that's how we treat the person of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to break there is that the Holy Spirit is in fact fully God. Fully God. 
The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God. It is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Just as much God as Jesus. Okay, are we tracking? So he is God. He is fully God. There is no, he's not any lesser. He's not like the, the awkward part of the Trinity. He's not a lesser part of the, the Trinity. He is a full and equal member of the Trinity. He has all of the attributes of God. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. So they all are equal, but they have different roles. So we believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. Everybody, everybody does that. It's very simple. That's something that we all, it's easy for us to do. But then there's God the Holy Spirit. And that's the part we're focusing on tonight, that he is just as much God as the other two. All three, just as much God, okay? But something else I want to present here is, can we really say that we believe in God without believing in the Holy Spirit? if the Holy Spirit is equally God? It's an interesting question. Because we hear people all the time, I believe in God, I believe in God, I believe in God, but do we really believe in the fullness and the essence of who God is if we don't believe in his fullness? I believe partially in God is how that really is. I believe in the parts of God that I'm okay with. I believe in the parts of God that I understand. But do we truly believe in the fullness of God if we do not believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's one full circle. It's completion. So that's point number one. Point number two, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's so easy to look at the Holy Spirit as just a force or just a thing. And a lot of people refer to him as an it, that it does things. It, it, it. The Holy Spirit does whatever. But instead of seeing him as a person, we see him as a thing, a, a superpower. A, and he is all those things, but first and foremost, he's a person. And I want to show us this. This was powerful to me as I had studied this. But if we think about what makes a person a person, this is not a person, right? Everybody agree this is not a person? This is a keyboard. This is not a person. A person can make it make music and beautiful things, but it is not a person. A person will have a soul. Our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions, okay? Here's the cool thing. Let's look at Matthew 12, 18. We're going to look at the whole trinity here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it says, behold, and God is talking here, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my, my soul is well pleased. My soul is well, well pleased. Mind, a will, and emotions. So God the Father, the first part of our Trinity here, has a soul. He has a mind. He has a will, which means desires. And he has emotion, right? So God the Father is in fact a person. We agree? Person, God the Father. God the Father is a person. He has a soul. Jesus. Let's look at Matthew 26, 38. Then he said to them, and this is Jesus talking, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. My what? My soul. So Jesus had a mind, a will, and emotions, right? 
we, we see that we have the mind of Christ. If we can't have, if our God doesn't have a mind, how do we have the mind of Christ? And so we see that God the Father, God the Son, they both have a mind. They both have will and they both have emotions. The shortest scripture in the Bible says Jesus wept. It's hard to weep without having emotions. So we know that Jesus had emotion as well. Now let's look at Hebrews 10.38. I'm going to start in 37. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will, will come and will not tarry. And this is talking from the, the spiritual standpoint. Um, so the person of the Holy Spirit would be where this is coming from. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. My soul has no pleasure in him. So we see the person of the Holy Spirit also having a soul a mind, a will, and an emotions. So if God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are three but one, okay? They are all equally God. And we have God the Father, who's sitting on the throne in heaven. We have God the Son, who's sitting on the throne next to him. And then we have the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells among us, in us and among us, that when we receive the Holy Spirit, then he now lives in us, correct? So if he has the mind, the will, and the emotions of God, and we have received the person of the Holy Spirit, then we now have the mind, the will, and emotions of God living on the inside of us that we have access to. I want to think how God thinks. We have access to that. He's living inside of us. I want to desire what God desires. I have access to that. He's living on the inside of me. I want to feel what God feels. I have access to that. He's living on the inside of me. So the person of the Holy Spirit, when he is now living inside of us, we have access to the mind, the will, and the emotions of our God. How cool is that? Again, why wouldn't we want the person of the Holy Spirit? But then here's the thing. If we do not acknowledge him as a person, we will never develop a personal relationship with him. If we do not acknowledge the Holy Spirit as a person, we'll never be able to have a personal relationship with him. I can never have a personal relationship with this keyboard. It's a keyboard. It's not a person. But I can have a personal relationship with my mom. I can have a personal relationship with my husband. I can have a personal relationship with anybody in this room, right? Because we are all people. We will develop a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit when we acknowledge him as the person of the Holy Spirit, and not the force of the Holy Spirit, the, the weird thing flying around of the Holy Spirit, or the dove of the Holy Spirit. You can't have a relationship with a dove, but you can have a relationship with a person. But if we actually see him as person, so that was number two. Number three, the Holy Spirit is our helper. So now we've, we've established the Holy Spirit is God. He's just as much God as all the other parts of the Trinity, right? We've established that he is a person. Now, why do we actually need him? And this is where it gets a lot of fun. So let's look at John 14, 16. So he is our helper. What does he help us do? Because we hear that he's our helper, but what does he help us with? Okay, 
And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, so he's sending us a helper. One thing I want to point out just really quick, and I'll come back to this later, but he says that this is Jesus telling the disciples, hey, I'm sending you somebody. I'm sending you a helper. But it says, for he dwells with you. So if the Holy Spirit is dwelling with them now, how do they know the person of the Holy Spirit? They know the person of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, right? Because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are equal parts of the Trinity. So they've encountered the person of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. How did Jesus even know who to pray for, where to go, what to do? It's through the person of the Holy Spirit. He was giving us an example. Jesus had, God has, they're three but one. They all work with each other, right? Because they're all the Trinity. So it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the disciples were dwelling with the Holy Spirit, not because the Holy Spirit had come yet, but because they knew the person of the Holy Spirit through the attributes and the character of Jesus. So they had known that. But then it says, um, he dwells with you, present tense, and will be in you, future tense. And will be in you, future tense. So this person that you guys are acquainted with now is going to be in you, future tense. Present tense, you know him through me. Future tense, he is going to live on the inside of you. So Jesus is showing how the helper is going to come and where he's going to be. And then let's look at uh, 14, 25, and 26. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And then 15, 26, so just a page over. We're just going to kind of read through these quickly so we can get through everything tonight. Well, maybe I wrote that one down wrong because there's not a 1526. Oh, yes, there is. But when the helper comes, whom shall I send to you from the Father? The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So again, just I want to just back up and then 167. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And then we're going to keep reading. So hold your spot right there because that's where we're going to pick up next. So that he sends us a helper. And the helper wants to help in every area of our life. There's no area in our life that the Holy Spirit won't help us. Remember, he's omniscient, meaning all-knowing. So if God is all-knowing, the Holy Spirit is all-knowing. There is nothing that he does not know about us, and there is nothing that he does not know in regards to where our life is going and to where we've been. The Holy Spirit knows everything. We said that he's omnipotent, which means there's nothing he cannot do, right? And so he has the same characteristics of God. And so the, the helper, he wants to help with everything in our lives. Well, now, how does he help? So let's look at John 16, 8. And when he is come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. And of judgment because of the ruler of the world is judged. I want to break this down because when we read that, we're like, 
no, I don't want to know that person. He's just coming to tell me how bad I am, right? He's gonna convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That sounds a bit scary to me. So when I started studying this out, that's what I thought too. I went, that does not sound like a good time. Let's invite a person that's gonna convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so I studied it out. because I'm like, what does this actually mean? So the word convict does not mean condemn. And we switch the two back and forth very easily. That we think that when he's going to convict me of something, then he's going to condemn me of something. He's going to condemn me of my past. He's going to condemn me of where I'm wrong. He's going to condemn me of where I messed up. He's going to condemn me of who I am. He's going to condemn me of who my family is, of what I believe, of what I don't understand. So we automatically have this assumption of the Holy Spirit that he wants me to know what a terrible person I am. He just wants to make it clear to me. That's not what convict means at all. The only person that accuses us of things is the enemy. It says that he's the accuser of the brethren. That is the job title of the enemy, not the job title of the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I want us to get that very clear. So the word convict actually means, give me one second, find it here in my notes, belief or persuasion or to convince. To convince. So when it says that he's coming to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, he's coming to convince the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Still sounds pretty bad. So let's get farther and break it down more. So sin. I don't want to be convicted of my sin. You don't want to be convicted of your sin. But Jesus already died and went to heaven, right? He already died for our sin. So when he comes to convict us of sin, he's coming to convince us that we are held in bondage to sin and we have access to something that is going to set us free. He is not coming to condemn us for the sin that we're living in. He's not condemning us for where we live wrong. What he's doing is I want to convince you that there's something different. I want to convince you that there's more to life. I want to convince you that right now you are in bondage and it ends in death. I want to convince you that over here you can be set free and it ends in life. That's what he's convincing us of. So when we see someone receive Jesus, when we receive Jesus, when we made Jesus the Lord of our life, when we received the gift of salvation, that was through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to be saved without having the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing any other way. So we've all encountered, if you know Jesus, if you've received salvation, then you've already encountered the person of the Holy Spirit. That you have been convicted or convinced of a life that was going to death and it turned into a life that is moving to life. You've already. And so I don't see that. Now that we see him as a person, we go, Oh, he's really out for my good. He wants me to know that this is going to hurt me, that this is going to end in, in, in death. This is going to end in, in horrible things for my life. And he wants to take me to a place where I'm free. So he convinces us of sin. He doesn't convict us of sin. And for your notes, you can read 1 Corinthians 12, 3. And that's just going to back up everything I just said right there. That no one comes to Jesus without the convincing or the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing. Okay, so the second part of that was that he convicts us of righteousness. So immediately we think, okay, so he's going to tell me all the ways that I'm not living right. He's going to tell me all the places in my life that my behavior needs modified. Right? If he's going to convict us of righteousness. But it's actually the contrary. I'm telling you, it's going to change our view of the Holy Spirit forever. He's going to convince us because righteousness has nothing to do with our behavior. It actually means right standing with God. So because Jesus died for us, 
rose again and now is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, we are made right standing with God. We are not looked at according to our sin. We are looked at according to the blood. So we are seen as the righteousness of God, okay? We don't have to earn this. This is through grace. We have been saved. You are seen right standing with God. We feel like I have to, I have to prove that I'm right standing with God. I have to, no, we are right standing with God through the sacrifice that Jesus made. Okay. So when the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of righteousness, he's not coming to condemn our wrong behavior. He's coming to convince us that we already are right standing with God and can approach the throne of grace boldly, that we are welcomed to approach God. We are welcome in prayer. We are welcome because we are a child of God and we're not looked at as a result of our sin. We're looked at as the result of the cross. We are not looked at according to our behavior. We're looked at in the way that Jesus died, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And as a result of the blood of Jesus, we are now in right standing with God. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of that. But he goes one step farther on, on this. So Jesus' death made us right standing with God, and the Holy Spirit wants to convince us of such. So when we're told that we're not good enough to be a Christian, when we're not good enough, I just, I keep messing up. I can't be a Christian. I can't be what God wants me to be because I keep messing up and I keep struggling with this. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the accuser, right? So we are already right standing with God because of the sacrifice Jesus made. Now, through our relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit, we will begin to walk out character that is consistent with our position. So outside of a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we will try and try and try and try and try to be really good people and we'll fail over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because only through the power of the Holy Spirit is righteous living possible. Just like you can't save yourself from hell. Only Jesus can. So if Jesus saved you from hell, right? Jesus sacrificed for our sin. He, he became sin so that we wouldn't have to. So Jesus sacrificed. We are now right standing with God. The only way that we can be right standing with God is by receiving the sacrifice that Jesus made. The only way that we can have the power to live a righteous lifestyle is through a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Do we see the two? Not because he wants to keep us from having fun, but because he says, you have a heavenly position. And by knowing me, by knowing my character, you begin to pick up that character and you'll be able to walk out a lifestyle that's consistent with the position of righteousness that you have in heaven. So when he's coming to convict us of righteousness, it's not to tell us everything that we're doing wrong. It's to say, no, that's an accusation from the enemy. You are right standing with God. That's already been established on your behalf. You do have a right to the throne of grace. You do have a right to come boldly before God. You don't need to feel ashamed or guilty. That's not something that we should feel. So the Holy Spirit totally has our back on that too. And then if we look at number three here, was judgment out of all three of them. Sin, righteousness, judgment was the one that I was like, Ooh. but again, the coolness of the Holy Spirit, when we read verse 11 again, it says, and of judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. 
He's not coming to judge us. The Holy Spirit isn't a person in our life to judge us. He is coming to convince us that the ruler of the world, which was Satan, has already been judged and has already been, the, everything's been taken. All authority has been taken away from him through what Jesus did on the cross. So the Holy Spirit in our life is to convince us when he comes to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. The judgment side is that I'm coming to convince you that the enemy to your soul has all already been punished. He's already been judged and he has no authority in your life any longer. So the Holy Spirit comes to convince us that the enemy has no authority on our life. He's already been judged. He's already been defeated. Jesus defeated him on the cross. So we can't have a say in our life anymore. And so the Holy Spirit isn't coming to tell us you're being judged for this. You're being judged for that. You're going to be judged for this in heaven. You're going to be judged for that. That's not who he is. The Holy Spirit is coming to say, don't let the enemy have authority in your life. He's already been defeated. Don't let him have a say there. Don't let him have a say with your kids. Don't let him have a say in your job. Don't let him have a say in your marriage. Don't let him have a say over any situation in your life. He doesn't have a say. The Holy Spirit brings conviction in that area to convince us that the enemy has already been defeated on our behalf. He has no control. So do we see what a cool person, the person of the Holy Spirit, is not the freaky force that everybody makes him out to be. The Holy Spirit is a powerful, powerful, powerful person who loves us. Again, if God loves us to depths that we can't even understand, the Holy Spirit loves us to depths we couldn't understand. If we believe that God has a plan for us, then the Holy Spirit has to have a plan for us. Because again, the Holy Spirit is equally God. And he is living on the inside of us. And so those three then we read forward, um, if we go down to verse 12, and it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Okay, the enemy is the father of all lies. Lies keep us in bondage. And so if he's guiding us into all truth, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Holy Spirit is going to keep us in our life. If he's our guide, think about a guide for a minute. What does a hunting guide do? hopefully lead you to the elk if he's a good one, right? So he's going to lead us to the target we're trying to acquire. Well, if the target is truth, then the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our lives, in our marriage, in our job, in decisions with kids, every aspect, there's no such thing as an area in our life that the Holy Spirit is not going to constantly be guiding us into truth. Think about that for a minute. How many of us are like, I just need to know the truth in this situation. I just want to know what I should do. I just, I don't know what decision to make. I just don't, we're not accessing the person of the Holy Spirit that's living on the inside of us. If he's guiding us into all truth, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. Again, just showing the picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in unison. That none of them speak on their own authority. They are all equally God and they all equally agree. They have the same mind, same will, same emotions. They are the same person. The Holy Spirit will not tell you something that is contrary to the word of God. The Holy Spirit will not tell you something that is contrary to what was accomplished on the cross. They all three will always agree for our life. And so in that section, he leads us into all truth. He shows us things to come. He reveals heavenly mysteries and he imparts vital direction. So then what else does the Spirit help us do? It says that he's our helper, right? How many of you 
have said or heard somebody say, maybe even this week, I just need to hear the voice of God for myself. I just want to hear God's voice. I just need God's direction. Anybody in here? Yeah, we've heard that. We all want to hear God's voice. This, this will rock your world, okay? I said that the, the, the Trinity, right? All three God, but they have different roles. Do you know whose role it is to speak to you? God, the Holy Spirit. It is the role of the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Wow. That's his role. So when we think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, sometimes we pray to the Father. Why? Because we, well, we have the prayer, our Father who art in heaven. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And, and then in the Old Testament, we see that God just showed up and talked through like bushes and donkeys and all the cool stuff. So that's how we expect God to talk to us. It'd be easier that way. I used to think that until I started studying this out. Because if you go through the Old Testament, it's like book, 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 and sometimes chapter, chapter, chapter. This person heard from God. 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 And I'm like, man, he's like chatty Kathy back then. And now I feel like we don't hear that very much. But when you actually look at the timeline of the Old Testament, one person on average, one person per generation had the opportunity to communicate with God. One person per generation had the opportunity to hear from God. And they lived to like 900 million years old back then. So when they did hear from God, it was like once and then hundreds of years later, they maybe heard from him again. The ones that have the longest books in the Old Testament, they heard from God a couple times. Think about that. They heard from God one person per generation. Imagine our world right now, <laughs> that if one person in our entire generation was the one that heard from God and we were supposed to believe what they said. That's crazy. But yet that was not God's will. God's will was that all, it, Joel prophesied that my spirit will be poured out on all flesh, that God wanted everyone to have access to his voice. He wanted everyone to have access to hear him. And so then, Sure enough, we have Christians across America and everyone wants to hear from God, but nobody wants to believe in the person of the Holy Spirit whose job it is to speak to you. So we don't want to have anything to do with the person of the Holy Spirit, but we want God to speak to us. It's the Holy Spirit's job to speak to us. And we have access to that. Can you imagine what people in the Old Testament would do to have access to what we have access to? That we can literally talk to God at any time in the day and hear a response through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so he enables us to hear God's voice. Um, he was commissioned to earth to interact with us daily. Sorry, I'm just making sure I'm not missing anything right here with my notes. So the main problem that we have if we're here God or not is that we refuse to embrace and engage with the person of the Holy Spirit. We want to hear from God, but not from the person whose job it is. The person of the Holy Spirit is so vital to our lives. It's his job to speak. So when we ex him out, there's no wonder we don't hear from God. He can speak to us each and every day. Okay, so how does he speak? Number one, he speaks through his word. 
every word. It says that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is from the inspiration of God. Now, if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three but one, that means every word in the Bible is inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If it's the Holy Spirit's job to speak, and then we have the people that wrote the Bible across several continents, across several hundred years, and so many different authors, how did they know what to speak? Because we just read that the Holy Spirit will bring all things to your remembrance. So we have this, our, our Bible, the, the main source of, of our Christian living, the guide to Christian living, the, the God-breathed Word of God that's alive to us, and all of it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So one way that he speaks to us is through the Word of God. Okay, and this is two parts as well. One, the more that we read the Word of God, the more we're going to know God's character. The more we're going to know about his attributes, the more we're going to know about who he is. We will naturally know what is God and what is not just if we read the word of God. If this truly would become part of our daily lives, that I cannot live without the Bible, I cannot live without the word of God in my life, that if we were to read it on a daily basis, you would be surprised the decisions and the character that would change in your life just by reading it because you would see God different. You would see his character come to life. You would see his attributes. You would see truth. You would see, you'd get a whole new revelation. Now, the second part of this is that it says that the word of God is living and powerful, right? And then John 1, 1, we're gonna kind of jump here. Stay with me. But in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. So we agree that the Word and God are one and the same. And we've already agreed multiple times now that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one and the same. So what is in this Word is no different than the person of the Holy Spirit, than the person of God, and then the person, or God the Father and God the Son, correct? All three the same, and all three are the Word. So if this is the living Word of God, the living Word of God, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and this is living, it is God-breathed. When I read it, do we not think that the Word knows more about us than we know about us? Think about it for a minute. The Word of God is living. The Word of God is living. This is not just a book. It's a person. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when I read my Bible, I'm not just reading words on the page. I'm reading about a person, but then this word has the ability to read me as well. And when we are learning and growing in the word to go, I want to know the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to know who God is, and I'm going to read the word. We have to allow the word to get into our heart and read us because it knows more about us than we know about us because it is just as much God as we see in the Trinity. That's incredible. Why wouldn't it be in this constantly? So that's one way the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Praying is how we talk to God. The word is the most basic way to hear him talk to us. And then the second way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, so one through his word, and the second is through his voice. And we learn to recognize his voice by being in the presence of God. This is being in the presence of God in our homes, spending time in prayer, but also spending time listening. This is being in the presence of God while we are in even a worship service at church, a worship service with our family, that we just teach ourselves to be in the presence of God. What does his presence feel like? What, is, what, is, what are his attributes? So then we learn to recognize his voice. So then 
The Holy Spirit speaks through our born-again spirit, right? The Holy, that's how he speaks to us. We wait for sometimes an audible voice. The Holy Spirit speaks through our born-again spirit. When we receive Jesus, our spirits are made alive to God. We are made up of spirit, of soul, and of body, right? So our spirit, man, when we receive Jesus, it is what is made alive to God. The Holy Spirit speaks through our spirit, man, is how he's going to speak to us. So sometimes speaking to us is going to feel like a knowing. I just, I just know that I'm, I just, I just know that this is right. I just know. And it'll always be backed up with the word of God and it will not be in confusion. It will not be in anger. It will not, it will be, it will be backed up by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It'll be backed up by the character of the word of God that we find, but it can be a knowing. The other way that he could speak to us is when he speaks to our spirit, it may come as a thought. And you've heard people say, I don't know the difference between if this is really God or if this is just me. The more that you spend time with the Holy Spirit, the more time that you spend in the word, the more time that you spend listening to the little convictions, the little things, the more time that we position ourselves to pay attention, to hear him talking to us throughout the day, because he's gonna guide us into all truth. He never leaves us, right? He wants to talk to us. So the more that we pay attention and learn to recognize his voice, then the easier it will become to decipher between the two. Is this me? Is this God? Is this my emotions or my pizza last night? Or is this what the word is trying to teach me? Is this what the Holy Spirit is trying to guide me in? And you back it up with the word of God. But you'll learn to recognize that. Um, so the, the two, so he can, you can speak through you through the word and he can speak to you through his voice. Okay, the next thing that he does is, so he's our helper and we've talked about all the things so far. He's gonna help us hear him, but he's also gonna help us reveal God's will. All of us wanna know God's will for our life, right? And we just said that if he has a soul, he has, we have on the inside of us, the mind, the will, and the emotions of God that we have access to inside of us through the person of the Holy Spirit. So if I wanna know God's will for my life, then I need to know the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not about, sometimes we, we seek these outside things. Is God's will for me this job? Is God's will for me this marriage? Is God wills, and it may or may not be. But those things aren't going to give you purpose. We only find purpose when we access and we spend time building a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And as we build the, in our relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit, God's will is then revealed to our lives. And remember, he's all-knowing. He knows everything about us. God loves us more than we can love us. He has better in store than we could ever do for us. We can't accomplish a portion of what God has in store for our lives in our own strength but we can access everything that he has for our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so he reveals God's will. The word of God, so we talked about that he speaks to us through the word and through his audible voice, right? So as we read the word of God, we will find God's general will for our lives. Everything in here, this is God's general will. It does not tell you who to marry, but it does tell you the character and how our marriages are supposed to be in submission to the word of God, right? It talks to us about character. It talks to us about fruit. It talks to us about kids. It talks to us about everything that we can encounter in life is gonna be in here, and it's God's general will for our lives. And then, as I said, the Bible knows this more than, than, than we know ourselves. So how this is going to apply specifically to my life might look different than how it's going to apply to my mom's life. It's the same word. And the next time I read it, it might apply different because I'm in a different spot, right? And so the, the word is so cool because it applies to us. We get fresh revelation every time we're in it. No matter how many times you read the same story, there's new revelation that God's speaking directly or the person of the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to you 
for the situation that you're facing. So we can know God's general will for our lives through the word of God, but then we can know his specific will for our lives through his voice. And again, that's time that we spend recognizing what he's saying. What are you saying? What are you not saying? Do I date this person? Do I not date this person? Do I take this job? Do I not? Is that an opportunity from you or is that an opportunity that is gonna set me up to fail? Is this something that I want? Is this something that you want? And as you learn to constantly have conversation, with the Holy Spirit, the person, again, he's a person. And as we learn to constantly build that relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit, then all day long, it's not you making decisions. You go, is this what I should do? You'll feel a yes, you'll feel a peace, or you'll feel a definitely stay away from that. And you'll know that through the person of the Holy Spirit. He has our best interest in mind. So he reveals God's will. He wants to help in all areas of Christian life. So that was, all of that was point number three, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Point number four, the Holy Spirit is our friend. The Holy Spirit is our friend. So think about the relationship between Jesus and the disciples is what I want us to get in our head here. Because it's hard to think about the Holy Spirit being our friend until we see it from this, a different light. But you think about the relationship that Jesus had with the disciples. What did he do? Convince them that they would have life following him, right? Instead of staying where they were. He convinced them. He, he performed miracles and allowed them to be a, a part of it, that he was constantly with them, right? He didn't, he didn't leave them. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to train them. He wanted to guide them. He wanted to be there to protect them. He wanted to warn them of things that were coming. He let them know, hey, I'm going to the cross. Hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. Hey, right? He just had relationship and was letting them know what was coming, what was going on, was with them to encourage them, to exhort them, to bring healing, to bring peace, to bring direction, to bring guidance, to bring truth. That's what Jesus did for the disciples, okay? Would you say that Jesus and the disciples were friends? Absolutely, right? That's why they were so sad when he left. So when Jesus sends us the person of the Holy Spirit, he truly wants to be our friend. He wants to be a part of our everyday life, okay? So now, Let's look at, okay, now he's our friend. By being his friend, by building a relationship with the Holy Spirit, what things happen in my life? Let's look at Acts 1.8. So the first one is power. And I know this is a lot. I'm trying to be as basic as possible. But I wanted to kind of bridge the gap to see that the Holy Spirit isn't a freaky force. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we get power. Okay, now a lot of us think like, what superpowers? This is where it gets freaky. Okay, this is not it. What about power to make the right decision? What about the power to say the right thing when we really don't want to? What about the power to treat the people around us with honor and with respect versus just how we feel? What about the power to beat the addiction? What about the power to be set free from the things that are holding us in bondage? What about those things? The Bible says, not by power, nor by my, by my spirit, says the Lord. And so we can live, it is possible for us to live our entire Christian lives trying to do things in our own strength. I'm gonna live righteous in my own strength. I know God, but I'm gonna beat this addiction. I'm gonna beat this habit. I'm gonna kick this thing. I'm gonna save my marriage. I'm gonna save my kids. I'm gonna 
be a success. I'm gonna, and we do it in our own strength. And we live in our own strength and we live in our own strength and we live in our own strength to the point that we live 100% exhausted because we're trying to do in our own strength what can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that it's talking about, that you have power to overcome what seems natural and live a supernatural life. But when we hear the word supernatural, we're like, ooh, that's not what it's saying. A supernatural life is, I want you to live above natural. I want you to be able to have peace when everyone else is going nuts. I want you to be able to have strength in seasons that you absolutely should not have strength. I want you to be able to have wisdom in areas that seem impossible to have wisdom. I want you to be able to have creative ideas. I want you to be able to be successful in a way that honors God. Instead, we live defeated. We live ineffective. And then we die and go to heaven. Sounds like a good time, right? I lived my whole Christian life. I gave life, I gave my life to Jesus and I got heaven out of the deal. I mean, that's really not too bad, but that's not why, why Jesus died. That's not why he sent the person to the Holy Spirit. He didn't want us to live defeated on earth. He didn't want us to live defeated every single day. He didn't want us to live ineffective every single day. He wanted us to live victorious. The only way that is possible for us to live victorious in life is through the person of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own strength. So if we find ourselves in a place where we're like, I do feel exhausted, I do feel defeated, I feel like the same thing takes me out over and over and over and over, the same frustrations, the same weaknesses, the same, I just can't, maybe, we're using our power instead of the power that was given to us by the Holy Spirit. Man. Next one. Love. So he gives us power through our relationship with him. Then we get love. Romans 5.5. 5. Has anybody ever said, it's just hard for me to love people? It's just hard for me to love people. It's just really hard for me to love that person. Anybody ever said that? Dawson, my nephew, says, do you know why I don't like most people? <laughs> why, Dawson? Because they're funny looking. So if he doesn't talk to you, you know which category you fell into. <laughs> Romans 5.5 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because... The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God was poured out in our hearts by who? Ah. So basically, it's impossible to love other people without the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if we have a hard time loving beyond just human love that's usually conditional, if we have a hard time loving people unconditionally, if we have a hard time loving that person that's just that person, you all know who I'm talking about. Somewhere, there's been a breach in our relationship with the Holy Spirit because it's through the love of the Holy Spirit, it's through our relationship with him, it's through our friendship with the person of the Holy Spirit that we are able to love people around us and to love them unconditionally, where it's not based on conditions, it's not based on sacrifice, it's not based on deeds, it's not based on anything except for, you know, God loves me, and therefore, I love you. And by loving you, I honor God. And the only way I can do that is through the person of the Holy Spirit. The love chapter, 
in Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't. If you actually read the before chapter and the after chapter, it's sandwiched through all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's just right in the middle there. So love absolutely is something that comes. Think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Love is the first one. And so we love unconditionally based on our friendship with the Holy Spirit. So then the third one is fruit. We produce fruit when we hang out with the Holy Spirit. It becomes a natural byproduct of our lives. Okay, so many times we are praying for peace. I just need peace in my life. I just need some patience. I just need some self-control. I just need, those are all fruit of the Holy Spirit. So with our relationship and our friendship, as we dive in and develop this relationship and friendship with the person of the Holy Spirit, then the byproducts of our life become love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? So we get these byproducts in our life because of our relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. If they are the fruit of the Spirit, then it's probably impossible for us to have these fruit in our life without the Spirit. Right? They're literally the fruit of the Spirit. How can we have joy without having a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit? How can we have love? How can we have peace? How can we have self-control? How can we have patience? If they're the fruit of the Spirit outside of a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit, we will not see these at work in our lives. So if we're in a place where we're going, I don't, I don't see these in my life, actually. Let's dive into our relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And then I'm not going to talk very much on this one at all because my dad's been preaching on it for weeks. But then the last thing that you get out of building a relationship and having a friendship with the Holy Spirit are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And those, we could, obviously, he's been teaching for weeks on them. So we're not going to cover them. But we cannot live fully productive Christian lives without the person of the Holy Spirit. God has personalized packages on our behalf full of gifts of talents and abilities that he's made available to us that can only be accessed through the person of the Holy Spirit. That's why they're the gifts of the Spirit. See, we make the Holy Spirit out to be this big, crazy idea, but it's so simple, and he wants so much good for our lives. We're almost done, I promise. So the next part that I want to talk about here is that we've talked about the Holy Spirit being God right? We've talked about the Holy Spirit being a person. We've talked about the Holy Spirit being our helper. We've talked about the Holy Spirit being our friend. Anybody in here ever upset a friend or a spouse or a kid? Anybody ever upset them? Todd has never upset them. <laughs> so, right? We've all upset somebody in our lives. Here's what I want us to know about the person of the Holy Spirit. He does have emotion. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. He does have emotion. So when we are building our... I have a relationship with my husband, right? Okay, I cannot live how I want to live, act how I want to talk, or act, talk how I want to talk, and expect to have a relationship with him when I'm deliberately doing things that dishonor him. It's not that he's making me act a certain way, but when I cross the line of disrespect or dishonor or rebellion in a relationship with my husband, it's gonna cause problems. You can't justify it. My response to him will cause problems if they're dishonorable, disrespectful, 
in rebellion or contrary to how we've chosen to live our lives. That will cause an issue. The same is true in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't going to force and make us an act or make us act a certain way. He's not going to take control of our lives and make us weird. He's not going to, that's not him. You think about God, it says that he's a respecter, right? That, that God is respectful, that he is honorable, that God is not going to bombard our lives. That's why we have the choice to receive salvation. And it's not just by the way you're getting saved today. We have that choice. God gave us free will. Well, the same is true with our relationship with the Holy Spirit, but he didn't make me marry him. I chose to marry him. But if I, if I sever that through my actions, through where I'm hanging out, through dishonesty, through how I treat other people, through how I treat him, we're going to have relationship problems. The same is true with our relationship with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is our friend, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Ephesians 4.25. And this is where we live aware that when you're taught or when you hear the people say, God's grace will cover that. I'm covered. I can act how I want. I can talk how I want. I'm covered. You do have free will to act how you want and talk how you want. That's fantastic. But you're severing a relationship with you and the person of the Holy Spirit. God's grace, yes, Jesus did die. You are still going to heaven. But you've severed a relationship. And that's where when we're empowered to live in a righteous way. There should be no way that we can become a Christian and be growing in our relationship with God and our character stay the same. And our words stay the same. And our actions stay the same. And the atmospheres we put ourselves in stay the same. And our habits stay the same. And our addictions stay the same. The church has become a place where instead of come as you are, it's really just stay as you are. And that's how we've, we've trained people and that's how we've trained Christians is that, yeah, come as you are and we'll leave you that way too because we wouldn't want you to feel judged. You can come as you are, get saved as you are and stay as you are, but there will be no relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit because it does require change in order to be set free from some, some things, in order to be who God has created us to be, in order to walk in his fullness, experience his fullness, encounter him at levels that we can't even imagine, that if we can encounter him on that level, but it's gonna require some change. It's gonna require some things. So we can grieve the Holy Spirit. 425, do not grieve the Spirit. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who he has in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that what is, what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. All things that grieve the Holy Spirit in our life. Here's the thing. Again, we're not robots. We can't live perfect lives. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We probably got angry today. We probably maybe lied today. We probably maybe said something that wasn't necessary for edification. It probably happened. Okay, but here's what we do have. We have access 
to grace. And this is where our righteousness comes in, in place here, is that I made the mistake. I don't have to hide from the throne of God because I feel unrighteous. That's where the Holy Spirit convicts me to say, hey, that was wrong. It's not a convicting and a condemning way to me as we just saw in the first part of this. This is not for me to feel condemned, like, great, I messed up my whole relationship with God. No, it's convincing me that I have right standing with God and I have access to the throne of grace that I can go, God, I messed up, I got angry and I asked for your forgiveness. And it says, when we repent, he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west, that they're blotted out, that we ask for forgiveness and we don't have to walk in shame and in guilt and in condemnation. Those all come from the enemy. They don't come from the person of the Holy Spirit. And so he convinces us that we're right standing with God, that I can go and I can ask for forgiveness and then I can walk again free and clear, but repenting means I'm turning from what I did, I'm turning the other way, and I'm doing something opposite. Repenting is not, my bad, hope I don't do it again, my bad, hope I don't do it again. That's not true repentance, but true repentance to the throne of grace that will be there with welcome arms. So the last part of this is number six, and this is where we're going to end, is receiving the Holy Spirit. So we talked about the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is a person, the Holy Spirit is a helper. The Holy Spirit is our friend. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And now number six, receiving the Holy Spirit. As we had said earlier, when we are saved, our spirit is made alive to Christ, right? And we had said that we cannot, it's impossible to receive salvation without the conviction of the Holy Spirit present, right? It's impossible. So when we receive salvation, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is there. Our spirit man is made alive to God. That does not mean that we have received the Holy Spirit. We have received salvation, okay? Received salvation. Now, if we look at these, because sometimes we hear the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that freaks us out, right? So let's look at all three of these as baptisms. Let's say there's three baptisms, okay? Salvation is one of them. So I am being baptized into the body of Christ through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is bringing me to Jesus, correct? We agree with that? When I give my life to Jesus through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, now I'm baptized into the body of Christ. Now the second one is water baptism, okay? So now when we're baptized in water, it's an outward sign of what happened inwardly. We, it, it represents the death, burial, and the re resurrection of Jesus. That's water baptism. You tracking here? Because those two everybody usually agrees with. Then there's the third one the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now we just spent all night talking about how cool the person of the Holy Spirit is and how we literally cannot live without him. So when we look at this, now there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wanna change our mindset here too. Not a freaky thing, but it's something that must be received. Why? Because the Holy Spirit isn't gonna bombard you. Just like salvation, you're not just told to be saved one day. Well, you kind of are, but you know what I mean. The Holy Spirit isn't going to just take you over. It's still a decision that we get to make. Do I want to receive the person of the Holy Spirit? And we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it, as it talks about it, it says that my spirit shall be poured out on all flesh, right? So it's really the Holy Spirit coming upon us. We see that throughout the word of God that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? Our spirit man is already made alive to God that's in us. But now the Holy Spirit's going to come upon us and that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But look how cool this is. So we said the Holy Spirit convicted us to be baptized into the body of Christ through salvation, right? So the Holy Spirit brought us to Jesus. 
who said they were sending a helper to us? Do you remember? Jesus. Jesus said, I'm sending you a helper. Jesus said, go and wait. I'm going to ask my father to send him. Go and wait. So now we see the reverse side of this, which is super cool to me, that Jesus sent us a helper, just like the, the Holy Spirit brought us to Jesus. Now Jesus gives us access to the person of the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? And we see again the Trinity working together, three in one. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a freaky thing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is literally, I want to start a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. The end. That is all it is. Just like when you give your life to Jesus, I want a relationship with Jesus. Cool. Now I want a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's, and you can read, I'm going to give you this in your notes, but Acts 8, 14 through 17. And it just confirms what I just said. It just talks through that they believed and then they were told they could receive and then they prayed and they received. And so it just backs up the fact that the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that we receive. It is not something that we just get through salvation. It is something that we have the choice to receive. And you can um, stand with me as I close here. But I want us to just see uh, another, I like to see examples of the Holy Spirit at work that change our mindset as far as the partnership that he wants to have with us. And I want us to look at the example of Peter really quick. And we can look at this in all the disciples. But if you look at the example of Peter, we know Peter's the one that was like, I will never deny thee. Just kidding. Not once, not twice, but three times he denied. We see Peter is the guy that's cutting off people's ears. We see Peter was like an emotional human, okay? So we see Peter this way. We see Peter that actually one of the people that asked him if he was a friend with Jesus was a little girl. And he freaked him out. No, 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 definitely I don't know him. So we see this in Peter. Jesus dies. We see the reaction of the disciples. But then he says to go and wait in Jerusalem, right? Go wait in the upper room. Go wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And we see that, that, that Peter goes. After the Holy Spirit came, the same Peter that's afraid of a teenage girl over here, that's denying Jesus, that's cutting off people's ears, is the same Peter that then 3,000 people received Jesus. How does someone go from, I'm afraid to even be associated with Jesus, to this is extremely controversial and the guy's dead, but I'm going to preach about him anyway. Why? Because of the person of the Holy Spirit. So we see Peter didn't go crazy. Peter actually kind of got a little more sane. So maybe if you feel a little crazy now, the person of the Holy Spirit will make you a little more sane. But we see Peter in the transformation. And then you can read through all the other disciples. We see Paul, Saul, killing Christians, who turns to Paul, who through shipwrecks and prisons and snake bites can still pursue God, can still walk out the plans and the purposes that God has for him. That wasn't in Paul's strength. Sometimes we read through this and we're like, man, how did he shake off a snake? I'm gonna go home and practice that. Where things turn upside down in life, where we feel like we've been a little bit shipwrecked and you're like, be Paul, be Paul, be Paul. And then you freak out because we can't be Paul because we're not accessing the person of the Holy Spirit that enabled Paul to be Paul. 
We have this access. So it's not a freaky force. Again, it's not an it. It's not a, it's the person of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He wants a relationship with us. He is just as much God as God. He's an equal part of the Trinity. And he wants to be our friend. And so when I said, when, when we started, that there was a, a different side of this, that now you can look and go, I don't want people to be freaked out about the Holy Spirit. That offends me because I know him. I know what he does to my life. I know the power that he's given me. I know the ability that he's given me, the gifts and the talents. I know that I would never been able to live like I live outside of my relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And so if everyone could bow your heads and, and close your eyes, the first question I wanna ask is if you do not know Jesus, if you have never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, and you would like to receive Jesus, that is the most powerful decision you could ever make. But if you have not made Jesus your Savior, if you have not given your life to him, and you want a relationship with Jesus, I would ask you just to raise your hand with me. Say, I wanna receive Jesus tonight.